Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Major Madness Podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I am one of the two editors of the site. We'll be joined in just a second by Greg Mitchell, my uh, co-editor. Very exciting weekend coming up in college basketball, and that's what we are going to talk about today, led, of course, by the Mountain West Missouri Valley Conference Challenge. Uh, we're going to have a couple of experts on in just a little bit to break that down for us. Our Missouri Valley writer, Harry Schrader, will come on and give things from an MVC perspective, and uh, Chris Schutte will come on as well to break it down from the Mountain West side, but we'll preview the weekend that is ahead a little bit. Uh, Greg, are you on? I am. How's it going, Russ? Going really well. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. All right, great. So a lot going on this weekend. We'll get to the uh, MVC, MWC stuff in just a couple of minutes. Um, I think... Other than that, though, the the thing that really sticks out to me is that doubleheader at the Staples Center tomorrow. Gonzaga is playing Arizona and BYU facing USC. Yeah, and I think you know BYU uh, picked up an important win the other night over Utah State. Um, I think we all, I'm sure everybody thought that 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 uh, game they played against Utah Valley last weekend was exciting. You know, I think Utah Valley is certainly a a team that not many power conference teams will want to play just because they play so fast and we know that they can shoot and they can score. Um, but I don't, I don't know that they're that a great a team. So, you know, certainly that would be a, a loss that um, was concerning for BYU. So it was, it was from their perspective, nice to see them come out and beat with a, probably a solid Utah state team. Um, I think that's a team probably you could see in the NIT, right? So um, it would have been tough for them going into that game against USC on a three-game losing streak. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look at those games like Utah Valley and you say one one loss, especially, as you say, against a team like that that could really shoot that could play really, really fast. Not a team you're going to face very often, even though BYU kind of likes that. Yeah. So, yeah. One loss like that, you could call it a blip. You could call it an aberration. Sure. But when those losses start mounting, especially mm-hmm. if you're in a conference like the West Coast Conference, that could become a problem. Now, they're yeah, facing absolutely. USC in Los Angeles. Uh, granted, it's not on USC's campus, but at the Staples Center. Um, so this will be looked at probably as a road game against the Power Five conference school. Uh, USC, unbeaten so far, wins over Texas A&M and SMU. This is going to be a very good opportunity for BYU to try to pick up a victory. Absolutely, and I don't. I think this is something that you know would be pretty interesting to talk about. Um, is I think there are probably. I mean, it's a it's a very finite opportunity, but I think there's an opportunity in the in the West Coast Conference to pick up an at large just on the strength of you know if, if they were to win. Um, let's see, they play Gonzaga and St. Mary's both twice. So if they were to win three of those four games, um, not really slip up again in non-conference. I mean, there's probably the chance to get Matt Large just on that. 
Um, would you agree with that? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Okay. Um, there, yeah, I mean, I know quality it's not, teams. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Well, yeah, no, I was going to say. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a conference really that has wins across the board that are going to help you. I mean, you really do have to put your eggs all in those, in those uh, the baskets against Gonzaga and St. Mary's. But, um, but yeah, no, I think that's interesting. That that had they, you know, they really need to right the ship here, and they did. And as you said, there's an opportunity for a nice win here against USC. BYU also, we should mention, has had a conference games against Colorado and Illinois coming up as well. Um, if you look then at, at the first game in that doubleheader, Gonzaga in Arizona, um, this seems like a team, Gonzaga, that if the season goes the way we expect it to, their win-loss record is going to be excellent, of course, because you know, maybe St. Mary's BYU will get them once or twice, but they're not going to have very many losses. They will be in the conversation, we expect at least somewhere in the conversation, for a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And, of course, the argument that always comes up against Gonzaga is, well, they're not in a major conference. Strength schedule is not going to be very high. So they could put a lot of that talk to bed if they beat Arizona. I know Arizona's a little bit beat up, but – you, you you don't just go and beat the Wildcats. I mean, that's, you're a good team if you can knock them off. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and and as you said, I mean, I don't if they if they get past that game, they get Washington at home. We know Washington has been you know not not very good this year despite Markup Fultz. Um, and they get a Tennessee and Nashville. I that, I can't imagine they'd lose that game, even though it's in it's in Nashville. Other than that, um, you know, that's a, if they get past the Arizona game, they're they're going to head into conference undefeated. And like you said, they're going to they're going to rack up a lot of wins in that conference. Um, certainly, be the favorite in every game except against maybe uh, when they play St. Mary's on the road and maybe BYU on the road. Um, but I don't even I don't even know if that if that'd be the case. Yeah, and I I can't remember. Have you seen a lot of Gonzaga this year? Uh, no, I haven't. I watched them a little bit on opening night against Utah Valley, um, and they just looked super athletic. But I think that had a lot to, you know, as much to do with Utah Valley. And then, of course, and then I watched a little bit of the Iowa State game towards the end. Uh, um, have you watched a lot of them? I've seen I've seen them a little bit. I saw them mm-hmm. again against Iowa State. Um, actually, I watched them at the Advocare Invitational, uh, parts of all of their games, and. You know, go, going into the year, a lot of talk was made about their transfers coming in, right? Um, yeah. Of course, by Nigel Williams, Goss from Washington, and you know, of course, I mean, rightfully so. But one guy who's really stuck out to me is the seven-foot freshman Zach Collins. I mm-hmm. think he's, you know, I mean, he's an All-American. We expected him to be good, but I think he's surpassed any expectations that I had. And you know, frankly, I think he's flown under the radar a little bit on the national scene. I wanted to know if you kind of thought the same thing. No, absolutely. I was really glad to see you uh, highlighted him in the, uh, in the uh, preview piece for this weekend. And I, you know, I remember in, in our first podcast, we talked about how this is really the strength of Gonzaga is that a guy like that is off the bench. Right. I mean, he's, and I think it's, you know, as we, as I go through their schedule, I don't, cause I know, uh, Malik Pope did not play in that San Diego state game. Is that right? Isn't that right? That's um, I think I'm remembering um, that, right. He was, he was, yeah, he didn't play in that game. He's totally out of um, I can't remember. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Did not play. 
Mm-hmm. And we know Iowa State with with um, with Monte Morris as long as more of a, a, a perimeter range team, though, uh, Deontay Burton is really good. And Florida has, you know, John Igbuno is athletic in there, but they haven't really seen, you know, really good post presence yet on the opposition. So um, Arizona has um, the, the Lori uh, Mark uh, Cannon, and I, I believe he's a legacy, right? I think his father played in the NBA. I guess that's neither here nor there for our purposes. But, um, he'll be, you know, I think, you know, he is another guy who came in as a, you know, very talented freshman who's been very successful this year. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see as they start playing a team that has a little bit more talented size than they've probably seen thus far, um, how they deal with that. Because, as you, you know, as you mentioned, a guy like Zach Collins has, has been really good, but he hasn't really played anyone up to, up to his skill level yet, it would seem. Right. Right. I mean, it's, and you know that's not taking anything away from the tough schedule. But no, not Arizona. At all. Absolutely. Yeah, Arizona is a really, really good team, even not at full strength. Um, so th- those two are definitely games that I'll be watching. Um, we want to shift to the East a little bit. Look at um, something else that caught my eye would be Rhode Island uh, going to Providence mm-hmm. this weekend. Um, URI a team that I think we both really liked in the preseason. Um, they had a good start to the year. They knocked off Cincinnati. Uh, no one's going to blame them for losing to Duke. The, you know, Duke might be the best team in the country. Anyone could lose to them. But they had a tough loss to Valpo this week uh, at Valparaiso. And this could be a good opportunity for them to get back on track. I mean, if, if they fall to Providence, that's going to be three losses in four games. Um, E.C. Matthews has not played well um, over the last week or so. Um, So looking for him to get going again. And, you know, I I, I will say, though, though Matthews has struggled, Hassan Martin has really stepped up and had a few good games. Yeah, he's a beast. He's a beast. He he just, he, he, like, you know, uh, he walks off the bus and he seems like an NBA player, right? I mean, he just, like, looks like an NBA wing. Um. He's really good. And I think it was, you know, E.C. Matthews obviously did not have a good game against Valpo. And I think Valpo is really good. That's a team that so far this season I, I had my doubts about, and they've, they've impressed me. I think Alex Peters is kind of a transcendent guy. Like, he's, he's really, really good. Um, so, you know, that they went in there and that it was a close game um, without E.C. Matthews really playing that well, that Hassan Martin, uh, Ferris Terrell, they were able to keep them in that. I, I think that's impressive. But yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is this is a game that that, that they like to win to uh, keep that kind of those, those um, positive vibes going that that they uh, did so well to uh, pick up at the beginning of the year. Um, and there was something else in the eight ten I wanted to ask you because I know you saw Richmond last weekend. Yeah. Um, and I know I know you uh, talked about them a little bit um, in the preview, uh, sp- uh, specifically uh, TJ Klein. I totally agree that I, I generally am not the biggest fan of those uh, players' uh, Tribune articles, but I thought he was great. Um, certainly an interesting story with his mom, Nancy Lieberman. Um, but, I, you know, I'd like to ask you if you think what you saw, is that a team that if, if – is, is that a team you can see having a run here that would put them in the, com- the conversation for the NCAA tournament? Uh, for the NCAA tournament, definitely. Yeah. Now, okay. Okay. I should say, since they left uh, the Barclays Center, they did lose to Bucknell, a really bad loss, mm-hmm. on, on Wednesday night. So they have some work to do. Um, and you saw that. I think we saw that this weekend. Um, 
But seeing them, I'd say for 32, uh, now probably a little less than that, maybe 30 of the 45 minutes of that overtime loss to Maryland, they looked like a really, really good team. Uh, mm-hmm. Even when Maryland was coming back, what impressed me about Richmond, you know, they got off to such a hot start shooting the ball, um, and they were really able to frustrate Maryland defensively. You knew that eventually Maryland was going to make a run, get back into the game. And it, and they did. And Maryland started to cut into the deficit end of the first half. And I think they tied the game up early in the second half. And that's when I kind of got the feeling, all right, now, you know, it was fun while it lasted. Maryland's going to take this. You know, Richmond put up a good fight. But no, the Spiders kept coming back. And it, they were they were such a confident team. Um, they really impressed me. Chandre Jones um, is a player who could put that team on his back and score, score when he needs to, make plays when he needs to. And T.J. Klein is, you know, I mean, he, he he's the star of the team. He's going to be one of the best players in the Atlantic 10 Conference this year. And I, I think that the two of them together were so, so impressive. Um to me, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they do have they do have some work to do. Um, there were times, you know, defensively they didn't look so great. But it, it's going to be a team that's going to get better as the year goes on. They play Wake Forest um, tomorrow, so that'll be a good opportunity for them. I think Wake Forest is a better team than it's gotten credit for. Uh, they also play Texas Tech before the conference season starts. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't think they're at the level right now that that excuse me that maybe Dayton VCU you are mm-hmm. are at. But yeah, I mean, they, they could pull off a couple of surprise wins against those teams. They can really build up a solid resume. But the work does does have to start now. That Bucknell loss does not look good. Other two losses, no. Old Dominion and Maryland, those are forgivable. But they they need to pick it up for sure. No, absolutely. And just you know, just an interesting side note on uh, T.J. Klein. If I'm looking at his his, his Ken Palm page or or the uh, team's Ken Palm page, he has 59% of the minutes at center over the last five five games, and 12% of the minutes at a point guard. Um, so he's you know almost like a prototype of this kind of new wave a player that's just completely uh, versatile. Um, yeah, I mean he's just he's certainly a fun player to watch as is, as is Andre Jones. Um, so, and I just kind of, you know, I find them interesting just because the A-10 before the year, we knew those top three teams were really good. And then we knew that there was a number, or we thought there were, you know, a number of teams under them, you know, any, any, any few of which, uh, if they, if things broke right, uh, could be in, conver- in the conversation for the, uh, tournament. Um, you know, things really haven't gone that great for St. Joe's. I mean, they're three and three. They had some nice wins to start the year, but they're so dependent on those uh, two guards. And that's a, I guess, a, another team that you've seen. So you can you can talk more about them. But but yeah, no, and that you know, it's just uh, it, uh, you know, it's just fascinating to me that there are. It seems like there's a few teams in that league that, depending on what happens, could certainly be in the conversation, and, and they're one of them. Yeah, absolutely. We've got uh, we've got Harry waiting, so we'll. Uh, get off this topic in a second, but I, I will say about T.J. Klein, he came very, very close to a triple-double in that Maryland game, and you know, I, I hadn't, I saw him a little bit in the A-10 tournament last year, um, but I hadn't really watched him 
a whole lot. Um, but seeing how confident he was shooting the ball, how aggressive he was on on the glass, I, I think he hit the nail on the head. That he's his versatility is probably what sticks out the most and what makes him so dangerous for opposing teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with that, we will shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk about the Mountain West MVT challenge, which takes place tomorrow. We're going to start off by talking about this from the Missouri Valley's perspective. And to do that, we're going to welcome in our Missouri Valley writer, Harry Schrader. Harry, are you there? I sure am, Russ. How are you tonight? I'm doing really well. How are you? Just terrific. Built a fire, just sitting back and waiting to talk hoops with you guys. Looking, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> there's, there's nothing there's nothing better than that. Nothing <laughs> exactly better than right. Yeah, so I, I think to, to start off, you know, looking at the Valley so far this year, you know, Northern Iowa's had a couple of tough losses. Wichita State's been very good, but I'm not sure – you know, it's looking like some, it's possible that the Valley could be a maybe a one-bid league this year, but this is an event where you could really build up your resume. Uh, what what games stick out to you as big opportunities um, for some of these teams? Well, you're exactly right. I think the league is in a in a desperate place, really. They do have those nine games tomorrow, and and obviously Wichita State and Colorado State are is the game of the of the nine that are tomorrow. Colorado State, you know, is off to a great start. And the Shockers, you know, are five and two, but they've only played two what you would call upper echelon teams and got beat by both of them. Lost to, to Michigan State and Louisville last weekend. And the Shockers are trying to figure out who they are still. I, they might be, frankly, more talented than any Wichita State's team we've seen in years, but they don't know who's going to take the shot. They don't know who's going to handle the ball. And so they're still searching for identity. But, but that game tomorrow against Colorado State is huge for them. You know, RPI ratings this time of year, you know, fluctuate so greatly. But, but new, but Colorado State's like a 60 plus, and I, and Wichita State's way down at like 110, 120, something like that. So it's a big game for them. But I think the other games, Russ, that really stand out is is that Illinois State game against New Mexico. Two pretty good teams, athletic teams with, you know, legitimate RPIs, and 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 I think it'll be a very entertaining basketball game between the two of them. And you mentioned Northern Iowa, a couple. of difficult losses and yet their strength of schedule has been so good that their RPI is still good. The Panthers have to start winning some of those games and they did knock off two power five teams earlier in the year, but they, but they've dropped a couple. And so that game against Wyoming tomorrow, very important for the, uh, for the Panthers. And, and then I think Missouri state is kind of a, uh, a team that nobody really knows about, but they're off to a really good start. And despite the fact that air force isn't great who they're playing tomorrow, just getting a win cross-conference like that is very important for the Bears. And so I think those three games are huge. You know, the Loyola game I, is a an odd game for me, too, because San Diego State's, uh, I, you would think, a really outstanding basketball team. And Loyola has a good record, but they had, just haven't played anybody. And so they're kind of a mystery team. And then losing Dante Ingram to an injury this, uh, just yesterday uh, really puts them in the question mark place too. So I think those are the games I'm watching to see how the Ramblers will respond without Ingram, and then those other three games that we mentioned: the Loyola, uh, the Illinois State game, the Missouri State game, as well as the Northern Iowa contest. Right, and you know, I 
I guess when you talk about the Valley, Wichita State is where the conversation always seems to start, and rightfully so. And you, you said that this team is still trying to figure out its identity. Um, for anyone listening who maybe hasn't seen them play yet or isn't too familiar with this team in the post Ron Baker, Fred Van Vliet era. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who, who, who are the guys that we should be watching for um, that can maybe take the mantle and really be the, the next guys from Wichita State that are the uh, tournament heroes? Well, I'll tell you, they have, they, like I said a moment ago, I mean, they're extremely talented. Marcus McDuffie, who's their leading scorer. Uh, why Greg's got him coming off the bench, I'm not exactly sure. It seems as though you know, he's still trying to fiddle with the lineup as well. But Marcus McDuffie is a six seven, six eight guy that handles it, that shoots it, can drive it, can defend and block shots. He's he's the real deal. And he and Landry Shamet came in last year as outstanding freshmen, both of them three and a half, four star kind of guys. Shamet missed the season with a knee injury, but he's back in the lineup and starting every game. Uh, but Marcus McDuffie is averaging just eleven and a half points a game, but he's coming off the bench, and he was a preseason all-conference player in the Missouri Valley, doesn't even start for the Shockers. A transfer named Daryl Willis is their leading rebounder, averaging uh, about five and a half rebounds and ten points a game, and he has been a, a breath of fresh air because they really expected Shaq Morris to be a, a force in the middle for them this year, and he just hasn't shown up yet. Two and a half rebounds a game, seven and a half points a game, and and so People were really expecting this to be the big breakout year for Shaq Morris, the veteran. He's been around, and, he, and he's done some nice things in the past, but still only playing about 15 minutes a game. And so uh, those are two guys. I mean, that's a guy on the disappointing side. Landry Shamet is a guy we talked about earlier. Really, they believe, an outstanding guard. He's averaging about nine, nine points a game this year. But the one guy that people keep waiting for, too, is Connor Prancamp. He was a, uh, yeah. a Kansas guy signed by the, uh, by the Jayhawks, and then he transferred to Wichita State, sat out a year. People talk about him being one of the best shooters in Kansas history, meaning high school Kansas history, and uh, he's running the point, and he, and he leads them in assists, uh, but only six points a game. He's a guy that just still yet hasn't shown up in the way that they have really expected. They kind of thought he would just show up and be Ron Baker, and and he just hasn't yet, and he's solid, he's good, but he has just not been the guy they thought to date. And so those are some of the names and some of the people, but they really need a couple of those guys like Morris and like Fran Camp to really stand up and be the guys that they've expected for a couple of years now. Hey, this is uh, Greg. Um, just So the, the only game I've really watched – uh, them from wire to wire was Long Beach State, and that was a really great performance by them. Uh, Deshaun Smith, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing um, his, yep. his name right, um, he looked really good in that game. Um, how's he been since then? Because he, he, it seemed to me he was the type of guy who, you know, as a, as a point guard off the bench, you know, he could, he could make the team come together, just kind of an exciting player. Well, and, they, and they've really expected that, you know, from him as well, but again, he's playing 16 minutes a game, and he's only mm-hmm. started one game, and and so I think because of what Coach Marshall is trying to do, he's trying to find a lineup. I don't think anybody has stood out. They've all had their moments. You mentioned the Long Beach State game, and, and there have been moments when Fran Camp just stood up and, and was the guy, uh, but nobody seems to take the reins. And Greg was saying in the postgame uh, interview last uh, after their game the other night, he said, uh, it seems like if I want somebody to play well, I have to bench them because they all play better <laughs> off the bench. 
and, and so you, you mentioned Smith. They really expected him to be Van Vliet, if I can say it that way. He oh, was wow. going yeah. to run the show. And uh, because they had so many athletic guys on the wing and Shamet and McDuffie and even Zach Brown, who they thought was were, was really going to be their defensive stopper on the wing, and, and he's still doing that fairly well. Um, but they really thought uh, Deshaun was going to just run the team. And instead, Fran Camps had to run the, po- the point most of the season uh, just because they, they haven't found that rotation. So Greg's playing 10, 11, 12 guys every night. And while that feels good at one level, you really like your bench to be a little shorter and guys to have very defined roles. And, and none of them have those roles just yet. Right. Um, you know, just so we're not on Wichita State all night, and I know we could talk about them <laughs> forever. Uh, one team I, I did want to ask you about, um, it's just kind of, kind of a, a curious case for me is Indiana State. Um, yeah. I watched them against Iowa State almost pulling off that upset. They looked real good. They played a very good Stanford team tough and then fell to Quinnipiac. Uh, just wondering what you've made of them so far and what you think of their game against Utah State. Well, you, I watched those games too. And, and you know, the, Greg Lansing might be my favorite coach in the league. He's just a, a hardworking guy. He's a coach's kid. His dad's in the high school hall of fame and in Indiana or Iowa or wherever it is where he coached. I mean, Greg is just coach, coach, coach. And yet they always seem to lack a little bit of, of, of killer instinct. And, and so, you know, you watch that game. Brenton Scott can be terrific. And Everett Clemens is a really nice piece at the point guard position. And, and he's the point guard and he leads him in rebounding. I mean, it's such a, weird kind of thing. They've got a handful of guys that play in the middle, but nobody stands out. TJ Bell has been coming on for them the last couple of games. And so they're excited about the progress there. He missed all of last season with an injury and probably just now finding his way uh, to the role that they really want him to play. And, uh, and so, but I think the big missing ingredient for that weekend was Van Soik. He just wasn't there. And, uh, and he's a guy that can shoot it from outside. He's a, about a 39% guy from beyond the arc, but just didn't show up in those big games. And I think that has to be concerning uh, for the, the Sycamores. They've recruited some guys. I live here in St. Louis. They've recruited some good pieces out of St. Louis. That freshman guard, Barnes, is a kid that I watched play a lot of high school basketball, and he's going to be a really good player. And he's, and he's running the point well for a freshman, but not for, he's not good enough yet for a team that's going to be in the upper echelon. But as you mentioned, I mean, they played Iowa State to the gun. They played Stanford to the gun. But then they let Quinnipiac play them to the gun and lose. And so, uh, yeah, they're, they're a real mystery for me. I wrote a story for my own website back in the, in the fall, or maybe it was for your guys' website. I don't remember that they could be a dark horse because I really thought they could be. But uh, what Greg Lansing has been saying is his team, uh, unlike Coach Marshall, his team knows their roles but then they sink into some things where the ball just stays places. They're a little bit of a motion offense team, you know, pass the ball, move, pass the ball and move. And what, uh, what has been happening to them the last couple of games is when they go bad is when they're standing around and waiting for Brent and Scott to score. And so that's a problem for them. They have to get more ball movement and more people involved in scoring only one other. Well, nobody else is scoring in double figures, but him. But I will say this, too, they, they, they love to play defense, and 
and uh, Greg Lansing preaches defense, 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 and and while they're allowing 68 points a game, you can imagine uh, you can expect that number to go down as as some of the competition goes down. That's pretty tough competition last weekend. Yeah, and, and uh, Harry, so uh, Bradley is playing Nevada um, at home, and that, yeah, how does that certainly happen? from yeah um, from the NBC perspective, that's you know it would seem like a missed opportunity because I, I think we'd all agree Nevada is a pretty good team. Right. Um, who would you like to see Nevada be playing in this? Well, you know, when you just match up the, your RPIs and, and all those kind of ratings, you would like to see them playing Northern Iowa or Wichita State. Sure. You'd like to see them sure. playing an upper echelon team. Instead, you're playing uh, a team, you know, that uh, is better than a year ago. Bradley is better than they were last year when they were, you know, had 10 freshmen on the roster and, and and so they're better, uh, but yeah, this is a, a bad matchup for the Valley, and and you know who knows Brian Wardle could potentially bring his team through, right? But but you look at it on paper, and there's just no chance. And so uh, it, I thought some of the matchups were odd like that. I mean, you can flip it around the other way too. Um, you know, there's there's some matchups that are bad for the Mountain West too. Uh, you know, we mentioned Missouri State earlier. They're a pretty good basketball team, and they're playing Air Force, who's a 217 in the RPI. And, and so, yeah, there's there's just some odd matchups in this thing. Uh, but Bradley is a much better team. They're pretty athletic. They're a little bigger than they were a year ago. Uh, but, yeah, they I, I don't think they have much of a chance there. I, and I would think, frankly, if, if Loyola was healthy, that San Diego State would be a really good game, too, for, for the Ramblers on their home floor. Um, but they're banged up. They not only lost Dante Ingram, but a couple of weeks ago they lost a freshman, uh, Matt Chastain, that they were really expecting to be a good wing three-point shooter, and he's out for the season with a knee injury as well. And so the Ramblers, as I said earlier, are are a bit of a mystery. And so I do like the New Mexico-Illinois State matchup. I, I would like to see even the, the Redbirds to take on Nevada or San Diego State. I think those mm-hmm. would be better for the Valley. Right. Sure. And you know, just just looking at the schedule here, it looks like there are you know there are some games that the Valley should win, Wichita State should win there. I think Northern Iowa should beat Wyoming. But there are some where the Mountain West has the edge, it's specifically San Diego State, Loyola, Indiana State, Utah State, as we talked about, uh, Nevada, Bradley. Wondering if you could look at those games and if you were to pick an upset. Which would it be? Well, I, you know, we, we talked about Indiana State. Clearly, those guys think they can play with anybody. And so I think despite the fact that Utah State would be, you know, favored in that game and it's on the road, I think that's a problem too for the Sycamores. I, I do think that's a game, a winnable game for Indiana State because they have taught, though they've lost those games, they've proven to themselves that they can play with anybody. And so I think that's a little bit of an unknown factor there. And, and so that is an upset game waiting to happen, I think. Uh, it's interesting, you know, if you look at the Ken Palm website, they think they, they picked Wyoming. Well, I guess not. They picked Northern Idaho to be Wyoming. Uh, but those two teams have a history. You know, they played in the NCAA tournament a, a couple of years ago, and I think that's going to be a, a, a real interesting matchup. And, and, I, and I can't pick Loyola to beat San Diego State. But Gentile Arena is a nice place. It's a really outstanding environment for a basketball game. And so I think that game is going to be closer than people think. But but I think the obvious choices in this are pretty obvious. And what I mean by that is, uh, 
you know, when you look at them and say, boy, this team should win, that team should win, that's probably the way they're going to turn out. But but I would say this also, there's a there's a game there that uh, Evansville and Boise State should be really interesting. You know, the, the Purple Aces have uh, – they're off to a slow start. And you mentioned uh, Wichita State trying to figure out how to live without Van Vliet and, and Baker. Evansville's trying to figure out how to play without D.J. Ballantyne and uh, Gideas Muscovicius. And, and, and they've got a young guy, uh, Ryan Taylor, who uh, transferred in, who's just been outstanding, averaging 15 points a game. And then Jalen Brown, who was always third, fourth fiddle on those former teams, he's averaging 19 a game. He had 39 in the game a couple of weeks ago, or maybe just a little over a week ago. And so Evansville, I think, is a team that could rise up and beat Boise State as well. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that was one that I kind of had my eye on as well. Um, we are going to go to uh, to Chris in a minute to talk about the Mountain West. But one thing, I, I guess, before you go, um, what's happened to Drake over the last couple of years? They've had a really tough run. <laughs> that's, that's a program that I always remember as being, you know, a, a solid mid-major, but they, they've had a tough time. They've are they going to really get a tough. Division One year? This, are they going to have a Division One win this year, Harry? Is it going to happen? Well, oh, that's, that's <laughs> the question. Because <laughs> they're one and one against the Division Two, I think, right? Aren't they one and one against the Division Two team? Yeah, they're really yeah. strong. Oh, man. <laughs> they, yeah, you know, when they they've had some. You're right. They've had some good success in years gone by, and and they just bottomed out. And when they got Ray Jacoletti uh, to come in to be the head coach there, he was a guy that had been a head coach, was a longtime assistant at Gonzaga, so he knew the formula right for a mid-major team, right. he knew what to do. And he's an impressive guy when you talk to him. He's very thoughtful. Uh, they just have not got the horses. He has not been able to recruit there. And I think bottom line, you know, an old coach used to tell me it's not about X's and O's. It's about the Jim's and the Joe's, you know. And so uh, he has really struggled to get players. And, and that's just the bottom line. They uh, have had a couple of games, uh, frankly, this year that, that have been close against pretty decent teams. I mean, that's the, the kind of funny part about it. They – you know, surprisingly, UMKC is a pretty good basketball team this year, and they lost by six there. South Dakota's not bad. They only lost by five. Uh, you know, they, they played DePaul. They lost to DePaul by two. So they've had some close games, but, yeah, they have been bad, and they've been bad for a while. And and uh, Reed Timmer, their little guard, is terrific. But beyond that, they're, they're, you don't look at their team and think of anybody that's really going to stand out. They, too, have tried to recruit here in St. Louis and, and have picked up some athletic guys out of the St. Louis area. But there's not that player on that team that you say, man, that guy will beat us. Reed Timmer is averaging 16 a game, but, but he's their one player. And, and I just think it's all about recruiting, and they haven't been able to recruit there at all for the last several years. And, you know, I don't know how rabid the fans are there about winning and losing and keeping or, or, or getting rid of a coach. And I'm a big Ray Giacoletti fan. Uh, but you have to think he's he's not uh, long for that without this scene turning around this year or next. All right. Well, Terry, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It, w- it was really great talking to you, and we definitely want to have you on uh, again throughout the season to, to talk about the Valley. So thank you so much for joining us. We would love to. It's uh, been a lot of fun. Loved working with you guys. Thanks, Harry. That was great. See you. Have a great, great weekend. Time. Thank you. You too. So that was 
Terry Schrader, our Missouri Valley writer. We're now going to bring in uh, somebody to talk to us a little bit about the Mountain West. Uh, Chris Tudy, did I get that right, Chris? Yes, you did. Yes, I knew it. How you doing? <laughs> no complaints here. How you guys doing? Uh, we're do- we're doing good. We're excited for uh for all the basketball tomorrow. It's gonna be a great day. Yeah, I am too. I'm a little disappointed. I'm gonna be busy with work a lot of the day, but I'll definitely be keeping an eye on the scores and checking Twitter constantly, keeping up on all the action. Good, and make sure you uh, pop your head into our Slack channel every once in a while, too. You're one of the few who can humor the ridiculous things that I say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I'm the only one that ever really responds. Uh, It's always open on my desktop, Um, and I feel like I'm always around to be the, kind of be the foil to some of your opinions, like our old movie discussion (laughs) earlier. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get into the movie thing in, in a little bit. Um, but first, the the Mountain West taking on the Missouri Valley tomorrow. Um, wondering if you could talk to us from the Mountain West perspective about all of this. What the what games stick out to you on the schedule? Uh, from the Mountain West perspective, um, I see this as an opportunity for them to to get some solid non-conference wins, because that was something that kind of plagued them last year um, right. when it came to selection Sunday time. I mean, San Diego State, they ran the ran the gauntlet in the conference play, but they got bounced in the conference tournament, and ultimately their kind of non-conference strength of schedule kind of was their, um, kind of their downfall. So for teams like New Mexico getting a win at Illinois State or, I mean, if Colorado State can pull off upset against Wichita State. Um, and even you mentioned it in the weekend preview, San Diego State, um, on Selection Sunday, they're not going to stick out um, if they beat Loyola Chicago, but it will definitely be something that the committee will take a look at if this is a loss. Yeah, and and it's, that does strike me as a dangerous game for them because it, it is one that on paper they – they should win, and, you know, we had Harry on a moment ago. He said, you know, that there is some talent with this Loyola team. They're a little banged up. They're not probably not as good as San Diego State is, but it's not an easy place to go in and come out with a win. So, you know, if San Diego State doesn't show up, you know, it, it could be a problem. Um, you know, you talked a minute ago about, Last year, and you know, the Mountain West was really down. It was a one bid league, um, and that bid ended up coming from Fresno State. It's got a 14 seed. Tomorrow really seems like an opportunity for a lot of teams, and and one of those teams who might be, you know, in, in that bubble conversation or near it uh, come selection Sunday is Nevada, and Nevada's playing at Bradley. It's a game, again, that they will be favored to win. Um, but, you know, the, the committee does look at how you play on the road. And Nevada so far only played one road game, lost badly at St. Mary's. Um, how, how big is that game for them? 
I think it's very big. I mean, they're one of the teams that were kind of being hyped up. They had a really good offseason. Eric Musselman's been doing a nice job of acquiring talent on the transfer market, but they were kind of being touted as the team that could give San Diego State a run for its money and kind of have the opportunity to knock them off their perch at the top. Um, but, yeah, looking at their non-conference schedule, you mentioned the loss of St. Mary's. They really don't have a whole lot of other opportunities to get um, good conference wins. They have a trip to Washington next week, but other than that, there's really not much on their schedule that can really be used as a resume builder. And like you said, um, the committee is going to be looking at how teams perform on the road. So this is definitely a game that Nevada should win if they show up, but they, they're going to need to play well. Yeah, and you know, I, I think it takes on even more importance knowing that that trip to Washington is right after. I mean, even though Washington's not the best team, you know, they're ranking and Ken Palm at least right around where Nevada is. It's a game on the road. You don't want to be going into that game coming off a bad loss to Bradley. No, yeah, and just you know, just to uh, I kind of echo what you said, Chris. As I take a look at their schedule, they're kind of in a you know no, almost no win situation here in the next couple of games because, I mean, as you said, a Bradley's a road game. I mean, that's a game that they shouldn't lose, but, it, uh, you know, things happen on the road, right? Um, mm-hmm. And if they do, that's awful for the non-conference. And then Washington, too, is kind of a game where not much to gain there because they've, you know, kind of fell flat, but it's a road game. You don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, it's kind of a hard, hard position for them to be in from a kind of at-large standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, like you said, Washington's right around where they are in the the Ken Palm rankings, but I do think they carry a little bit of name value kind of with um, sure. what Lorenzo Romar's been doing lately with all the kind of talent. But looking at, like, statistically, not a great win, but I think that in the eyes of some college basketball fans, that might look a little better if they can pull off a, a win against a team of kind of that name value. That's a good point, yeah. Absolutely. Um, You know, one thing that can pick up a really good win tomorrow, and people aren't really talking about them, people aren't really talking about their opponent, Illinois State, um, but New Mexico, if they can go into Illinois State and win that game, I think that's one that, at least among the college basketball experts, will raise some eyebrows because Illinois State's a really solid team. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually watched almost all their games the other night against IEPY. I cover IEPY's basketball team for the athletic department, so I was watching that. And I was just I hadn't watched them, and they are incredibly athletic. I was shocked at how well they pressed the ball and forced turnovers, and really just kind of fly all over the court. Yeah, um, and you know, New, New Mexico's. Kind of a strange team this year. We don't really know what to make of them. No real good wins yet. They lost a close one to Dayton, although Dayton's a little undermanned right now. Got blown out by a good Virginia Tech team. Um, But there's definitely some talent there. Elijah Brown, um, certainly an excellent player, going to be one of the better players, one of the more dangerous players in the Mountain West, definitely somebody to keep an eye on. 
Yeah, for sure. He was he was my pick to be the preseason player of the year. Um, and the, the combo he has with Tim Williams, he's actually been the better of the two. Um, Brown's kind of been slow out of the gate. He's only shooting 38% from the four. So. But like you said, yeah, right. they've had a tough loss to date and obviously the loss against Virginia Tech. But um, I think we'll kind of get a chance to see if New Mexico is really going to be a contender in the Mountain West tomorrow if they can win or and we'll see how they see how they do against a team that kind of matches up pretty well with them. Yeah. Here's one thing I want to ask both you guys um, your, your, your thoughts on. So you've got a Wichita State going on the road here and a Northern Iowa going on the road. Um, is that is that something that works out well for the NBC or not? Because you almost uh, – the way I'm thinking about it is a Colorado State, that's a huge opportunity for them to get Wichita State. You and I um, – Excuse me, is that something that works out well for the Mountain West Conference? And I don't know if I phrased as well as I wanted. So I guess I, I guess my point is <laughs> Colorado State's probably not going to Wichita and is going to win that game, right? That's probably not going to happen. Right. But with them going on the road, that, that almost seems like a huge favor. Not not favor, but that, that just worked out very well that the, the uh, two teams that you can, you know, have a real name value win against right now are both on the road to the Mountain West. Sorry, there we go. It took me a minute. Yeah, it's, you know, the the schedule in that way certainly favors the Mountain West. I, I still think Wichita State and Northern Iowa would be the two favorites in those mm-hmm. games. But Co- Colorado State's got a real, a real opportunity um, welcoming Wichita State in, and the Wichita State team that, you know, I've had a couple of losses early on. Um, and, you know, you, you know the crowd there. Colorado State fans are great. You know the crowd there is going to be really, really into it. Colorado State's a very good defensive team. I think that could cause a lot of problems um, for the Shockers. I don't know if they're going to win that game. But, it, you know, as you said, on, on the road, weird things happen. Um, the, the way it was set up this year, I think it does give the advantage to the Mountain West. And to be perfectly frank, I think both of these conferences really, really need to make a statement this weekend because they could, I mean, they could both get three teams into the tournament. They could both be one bid leagues. I just, I don't know. And we're, we're going to find yeah. out. So on Colorado State, if they, if they do win this game, you guys think that puts them on the map now because that would uh, obviously give them a statement win against Wichita State. They've beaten uh, Colorado earlier this week. Um, their only loss this year is to Stanford. Um, I mean, is that, does that put Colorado State, which is not a team I think a lot of us were thinking about before the year? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, anyone who beats Wichita State, people are going to notice. That's definitely yeah. a good win for sure. But looking at Colorado State's non-conference schedule, you know, the, yeah, Stanford, Colorado are good games, and they play uh, Kansas State. But they've got some really, really bad teams on that schedule, and that's going to bring yeah. down their RPI um, a lot. E- even if, you know, they win the games that they're supposed to and they – let's say they beat Kansas State and lose to Wichita State or something. Um, you know, the, their resume in terms of quality wins and good losses might be pretty good. 
but man, that their effective schedule is going to be dragged down by uh, Northern Colorado, Ken Palm 303, Alcorn State 344, Maryland Eastern Shore 336. I mean, that just doesn't strike me as very smart scheduling. And plus, two non D1 schools. So, at the very least, you have to win the games you're supposed to win, and you have to have a couple of statement wins in there, and Wichita State could be an opportunity. They'll get San Diego State a couple times in conference play, and Nevada as well. Um, but, yeah, they're going to they're gonna need something good at the top of their resume. Mm-hmm. I mean, it almost sounds like, you know, for both of these leagues, it's going to be really hard to make a case just based on what you do in conference, if if you're not a San Diego State or a Wichita State, um, or, or or maybe a Nevada or, or Northern Iowa, uh, does that sound fair? Yeah, I, I I think you're absolutely right, and you know it's th- this is always a tough thing to figure out here. And actually, I talked to Joe Lenardi about this. Um, I took his bracketology class. Last year was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> Were you plus, a good student? For him, Were you I a good student? It's, I was a great student. Um, I, <laughs> but we were talking about um, we were talking about the West Coast Conference, um, and you know Gonzaga and St. Mary's both very good teams. St. Mary's missed the tournament, but you know I, I was asking him how do you judge the quality of these teams if their best wins are against each other? If they haven't really beaten anybody out of the league to compare them to. And he didn't really have a great answer for me. So that makes these non-conference games so much more important. Because, if you know, if you're looking at a Colorado State, and, you know, let's, let's say they go and they win at San Diego State, and that's going to look like a really good win for sure. But if San Diego State doesn't have any great wins either, you know, I, I don't really know what to make of that. You know, I don't know how good of a win that is. So then you say, yeah, but they went on the road and beat Colorado. Yeah, they beat Wichita State at home, let's say. Then all of a sudden you have something that you can compare it to on a more national scale. Mm, that's really interesting. This is an important weekend, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and I think made even more important by the fact that a lot of these schools either a haven't scheduled particularly well at a conference, or b if they have, they haven't been able to take advantage of that yet. And I think this is a good opportunity for them to do so. Um, Chris, I have one uh, question for you. I put, I put Harry on the spot with this uh, when he was on. I'll I'll do the same. For you, if you're if you're looking at the schedule and you see a few games that the Mountain West team would not be favored in, say Colorado State against Wichita, or Wyoming against Northern Iowa, or something else, you have to pick an upset pick. Which uh, Mountain West team is going to surprise us tomorrow? I think I'm. I think I'd go Don't with say Wyoming. Beating great, by the way. Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming. Um, they kind of play a brand of basketball that's kind of conducive to pull upsets. They get up and down the floor. They shoot a lot of threes. They got a guy, Jason McManaman, one of my personal favorite players in the conference. 
not having a great year so far, only shooting 28% from the field, um, 26% from downtown. But he's shooting eight or nine threes a game. So, I mean, if they catch fire and get the home crowd into it, that's that could be uh, trouble for Northern Iowa since Northern Iowa kind of slows it down. They don't put up a whole lot of points. So if they kind of fall into the trap of getting into the up-tempo play, that might, that might be a problem. Yeah, I, I think that's a good call. And, you know, we talked about, you know, Northern Iowa is pretty desperate for a good win. So that's going to be a pretty good game to watch. Um, Greg, I don't know if you weighed in on this earlier, but I think the most important question uh, <laughs> that we've been discussing in our Slack channel um, is Home ask Alone Chris Christmas about <laughs> – Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was I, – You know, I, I don't – question. We can talk about that. No, no, I did. I did not have a basketball question. I guess it kind of goes. Is it? And I'm going to sound stupid for not knowing which one it is. But is, is it Die Hard? Is it the first Die Hard or the second one that takes place around uh, Christmas? Is it, is, is it the first one? First one, yeah. First. Okay, so yeah. I think that I'm going to be. I'm going to be a wuss here. Maybe I'll stand in the background. I'll let, I'll just watch it. You guys, that's do this out. But I mean, I I think that's kind of also in in that same discussion, right? Or no. I guess that depends um, I, on your on, 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 on that depends on your viewpoint. I guess. I think Die Hard is a movie. Die Hard is a movie that takes place at Christmas, but it is not a Christmas movie. I think Home Alone mm. is a Christmas movie. <laughs> is a Christmas movie. Um, killing see, me with that. I like it, Chris. Well, I like it. This is what makes interesting <laughs> podcasting right here. <laughs> <laughs> Give your reasoning first, because I I do think even though I disagree with you, I think you did raise a good point. I mean, I, I think that my reasoning behind it is exactly what you, you just said for for Die Hard. I think it's a movie that's set around Christmas time, but the whole kind of the main theme is that this kid's family left him behind, and now he has to fend for himself on the on his own. Kind of goes through all this, gets into all this trouble. Um, the way I see it is, if you kind of change the setting from Christmas time and would it drastically change the kind of the plot of the movie? And, you know, mm. I... It's a good point. It's a good I point, Russ. It's going to be hard to come back from that. Well, so, this is a, so here's this the thing. an opinion I'm willing to go down with. <laughs> <laughs> this is the hell you chose us. This is the hell. Yeah. <laughs> One second. I, I'm putting a call out on Twitter right now to see if anyone wants to weigh in. I'll just say this as we're, as, as we're waiting, hopefully, for someone to jump in here, too. Um, Home Alone 2, that one, I will say, I associate, I think, more with a Christmas. That may just be because, like, the toy stores involved, seeing all the holiday uh, decorations out, in, the, out in, in New York. So just, you know, for my kind of just, like – my instinct is that that one is more associated with Christmas. Uh, President Elect is, is, you know, uh, making an appearance. All this good stuff in that, in that, in that movie. But, but yeah, that, again, that's not very helpful to either side. But that's, that's my thought. All right. Well, I, I'm going to say this about. Well, let's start with Home Alone one, the first one. All right. The family is going away for Christmas. All right. There is Christmas music playing throughout. Uh, the old 
guy with the shovel that they're scared of is out there shoveling snow because it is Christmas time and it is cold and it is the winter. Um, there's a Christmas tree that, uh, you know, Kevin is uh, taking the ornaments from to, you know, it's part of his booby trap. Everyone's saying Merry Christmas to each other, um, you know, in the airport and in the hotel uh, throughout the entire, you know, when they cut to uh, Kevin's family. And that's why I think it qualifies as a Christmas movie because Christmas plays such a big role in that. Whereas in Die Hard, yes, it takes place, you could say, at a Christmas party, right? That's what it, that's what the work function is, right? Am I remembering that correctly? I don't know. I, I um, believe, yes, but, I believe so. Right. But, but it's it's very quickly it very quickly becomes not about Christmas and more, you know, about um, about Bruce Willis doing, like, you know, crazy shit. Um, so I, I don't... Christmas doesn't really play a role in that movie like it does in Home Alone. Um, and, I, and I think... Which one of you said the Home, Home Alone 2 with, uh, with the toy store? Um, That's what I was saying. Really does. I, what, yeah, yeah. That makes a huge difference. Sorry. You know, I guess it, I think the maybe we're maybe we're maybe I'm thinking too much into this, but you know, I think you feel worse for a Kevin maybe because it's around a Christmas, right? And I think that kind of whole aura maybe isn't there as much if it's not if it's just the you know any old weekend or any old day. So I think you know. I'm, you're starting to swim me back here. It's like if I'm the arbitrator here, I'm uh, back <laughs> in the middle. I'm right back in the well, middle. <laughs> so I'll tell you, the reaction we've gotten on Twitter so far is overwhelmingly that Home Alone is a Christmas movie. Oof. Okay, well, for, did you tweet it out from your personal account or from the, the site account? From the site account, with the number to call okay. in if anybody wants to – Join in. No takers so far, surprisingly. Hey, but you I didn't have say. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, I'm not sure if I really trust some of your followers to give thoughtful <laughs> opinions on such important matters like Home Alone. Hey, there is some overlap there, I, I will say. And one of the people who responded uh, does follow me as well, and that's, uh, that's Courtney Campbell from UAB. Who says? Oh yeah, she's... who is saying? Yeah, who is saying Home Alone is not a Christmas movie? Yeah, and she's, then she she's added this: Kevin cocking his uh, gun. What were you saying? If she has a problem, she knows where to find me. Oh well, in the mention. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Russ, you do have someone here who, while while they agree that it is a Christmas movie, they also think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and they had a lethal weapon for a good measure. So. That's hard for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I see the argument in favor. Um, but, like, the, you could watch that movie. You could watch Die Hard and, like, a week later totally forget that it took place at Christmas. You can't do that with Home Alone. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. Right, any other hot movie takes, or are we done with this? Well, I did, I, you know, it's not a movie take, but I did want to ask uh, Chris, and this is kind of segueing into, you know, I think I think it'd be 
we we we'd be uh, certainly missing opportunity if we didn't talk about the Fort Wayne game uh, for a little uh, bit. Here, you're my, my, do this, aren't you? my my first question is: Do we know if the kid that uh, drank the bleach is okay? Is he okay? Do we know? Yes, he uh, he actually blew Good. up on Twitter afterwards. Yeah. Um, apparently, he's like a you remember the band or the like a manager or something, but. He was he was loving the limelight from everything I saw. He's a huge hit overnight, which I mean, he's living the American dream. Well, why did he why did he bring bleach to the basketball game? Because uh, college kids are stupid. I honestly don't know. I never really followed through to see why he did that. I'm sure he did it just in case they miraculously pulled the upset, and then see, he knew there'd be a chance to get on TV. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that, you know, I'm trying. I thought I'm like, okay, in my head, I'm like, all right. So it's just a college kid. He's, he's finding a way to sneak something into the game. But then I'm like, you're gonna sneak some alcohol into a game. That's a large container, and also it used to have uh, bleach in it, right? I mean, but yeah, that's what I'm it, saying. Like, even if you rinse that thing out, isn't there still like the yeah chance that there's a trace <laughs> yeah. of getting into whatever liquid you put in? Well, that yeah, that wouldn't be the first that you'd want yeah. to take. There's a lot of containers out there. Yeah, I mean, bring in a normal water bottle for yeah, <laughs> for whatever. But, I mean, if he was in it for the limelight, he he got what he was looking for. So, Yeah, so, you know, I, I think I, I'm sorry, Greg. Did you have an, another question about that game? Because I have something that I need to bring up after. No, please go ahead. I just wanted to talk about the kid with the bleach. <laughs> okay. Um, well, since, since you made Chris suffer through that, I have to ask you what you make of North Carolina Central. Yeah, North not good. Carolina. Not not good. That's <laughs> hey, fair is fair. And I did, you know, I did see. I couldn't agree more with what you put at the bottom of the preview. You know. I think West uh-huh. Kentucky is going to be really – I think we all know they're going to be really good in a couple of years, you know, for next year. Um, but they're absolutely going to win Yeah, Missouri. And that, <laughs> should not be, that should not be that much of an accomplishment. Um, you know, and that's, and that's, you know, certainly North Carolina Central. I think Ken Palm has them as the most experienced uh, team in the country. I think, that's, I think that's right. And they beat NC State a couple of years ago. But, you know, and it – from from the mid major side, great one for the MIAC. You know that's great, but <laughs> the MIAC, come on, of all of all all conferences, you're gonna lose you're gonna throw Norfolk State back after all this. It's just yeah, I don't. Uh, no, it was. I was sitting there. I was sitting there watching it. And I'm like, they're gonna they're gonna lose this game by double digits, and they certainly did. So no, things are things are not good. At Mizzou. Oh, good. I. Well, like like I said in the preview, I'm throwing stones from my glass house here. <laughs> I mean, you know, you kind of you're Wagner at Northeastern. <laughs> you got a very you've got a very nice glass house. You got a glass house with you know a bunch of national titles you know out and back. I've I've got a glass house that doesn't have a Final Four, which is still yeah. But you've got a glass house with that SEC money coming in. <sighs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is. That's true. And I, I, that, that, that I've is got a great Tulane point. twice on my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> and that is one of the teams that Mizzou has a win against this year. So you're making me happy again. One of the few teams. <laughs> yeah. 
So, and that's one of those, and, you know, I respect UConn a lot, but it seems like East Carolina, Tulane, that I, you know, I look and I'm like, I always think, I was like, we should be writing about them. I'm like, wait a second. No, we're not writing about them. Right? The, the, this is actually, this is a, a good thing. And I don't say that up. trying to make fun of UConn. I, I'm not trying, I'm not saying no. that as a part at all. It's just like, no, a, I get my it. reaction is, we need to have an article in East Carolina. They're having a, you know, they're like 6-2 and two or whatever. And then I'm like, no, wait a second. Out of bounds. Yeah, it. This is a really strange thing, and you know, I, I took over the site in uh, I don't know when April, May after the Final Four ended, so it was the off season. Um, and is the thing was we covered every conference except for the Power Five, the Big East, and the American, and that's subject to change. You know, in, in the future, I don't think there's any. It's not written in stone anywhere. Um, yeah. But the thing with the American is that that conference is the the old Big East. It's that's, it's the same conference, um, and even though the only holdovers are Connecticut, uh, South Florida, Cincinnati, um, that that is where the conference came from. It had the BCS football bid uh, until it lost that, but like that's the conference. <laughs> that's why we weren't. But th- like that's why we weren't covering them. Um, yeah. So that, that, that's where that comes from. But, you know, you, you look at some of the conferences we do cover, and, you know, typical year, overall, top to bottom, the Atlantic 10 is better. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, maybe the teams at the top of the American are better than the teams at the top of the 810, but overall, yeah. Yeah. you know, the, the American's better. The Mountain West sometimes is better. Um, so, you know, it's a – this is something that I think we do need to reexamine um, in the off season. Not saying we're going to make a change, uh, sure. But it, it's something we have to look at. And you know, it's, another thing is, I mean, let's call it how it is. I mean, UConn has that national championship a couple years ago, and believe me, I, I was there as one of the greatest nights of my life. Um, <laughs> but they haven't been elite since then. Cincinnati's been a top 25 team, but they haven't done anything in the tournament. I mean, the top, the top of the league, if, if they don't want to be thought of as a mid-major, the top of the league has to perform at the very yeah. least. And if, if they're not going to do that, then, you know, I mean, it, it pains me to call UConn a mid-major or to say they're in a mid-major conference. But, you know, if, if, if it looks like a duck and whatever, whatever the hell that saying is, you know, but, so yeah, it looks like a duck. Gonzaga, like a duck. Right. I don't know. Gonzaga it's, it's, on its, its own is not a mid-major, but they're in a mid-major league, right? Wichita on its own is point. not a mid-major, but they're in a mid-major league. I mean, I, I think you could say the same thing about UConn and Cincinnati right now. I don't know. It just it would it would seem, and I think I I, I think you I, I think you said it perfectly. I just it, it it would seem very strange writing about UConn, you know, or Cincinnati on the side. And Memphis to a degree, I guess, but I think I think as I think I think you said it perfectly. That's another at least it has been a team like Gonzaga, where it's a you know it's a high major and mid major league, um, right? Yeah, no, it's right. um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. That's that's for sure. Um, but yeah, if you know, I, Kelvin Sampson stays at Houston, um, SMU seems like it has it up and running. We'll we will see. Javier Yankovic is, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, his right. name, right? Yeah, that's Tim Yankovic. So, you know, there's there's some potential there 
Um, I, I don't think Tubby Smith was a great hire at Memphis. That seems very uninspired for a program that should probably aspire more. Um, but, but, I mean, it, it seems like there is some potential there that it, it will be a quality league um, in right. the, well, the near future. The, the thing I'll say about Tubby is he's not going to embarrass you. You know, and that's true. Memphis that's true. Been heading down a real bad road the last couple of years. That's true. Um, and as I said, that I was thinking, I guess you know, when you took a shot at Passner, he was really kind of a wild card. So I guess they they, right. they had just yeah, they swung for the fences didn't really work out that great. So yeah, I think I I guess you're right. I guess I'll completely change. I just said five seconds ago that he he probably is a for the time being a good hire, but they certainly are going to need someone else at some point soon. Yeah, I mean, Memphis needs to win. UConn needs to win. Cincinnati needs to win. Um, because, you know, the, uh, otherwise, you know, this, it's a league that has a bunch of good teams, but who cares? You know, like the other high majors, the SEC has Kentucky. The Big 12 has Kansas. The Big 10 has Michigan State. You know, if, if UConn's going to be an eight seed every year, and Cincinnati's going to be an eight seed every year. Who who does the American have? I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's on UConn, right? I mean, I guess that's yeah that's the team that that has it the absolutely pedigree. Is. That, that's mm-hmm. the team that has it. So it's a good point. Yeah, and uh, now, just follow my Twitter feed for hot takes on UConn. They're <laughs> heating up. <laughs> Um, hey, Russ, I had would to, your opinion change me? What? No, go ahead. Go would ahead, your go opinion ahead. change of me if I told you that I went to the UConn Women's National Championship this past year in Indianapolis? I, that's re- my opinion would change of you for the better, yeah. How, how did you well, enjoy I did, that so. experience? It was, how was that? Funny. It was very interesting um i where i work um i work in a museum that's connected to the nca building so um during the final four we had a lot of foot traffic from fans and there's this guy that came in um with a large group of diehard yukon fans and they had sweet tickets and he came up to me and my boss and he was like hey um because we like set him up with the tour and everything all that kind of stuff he came up and was like, hey, you guys interested in going to the games? Like, I, I don't know. I don't really follow women's basketball or whatever. But um, he was like, here, well, if you want to go, just take them. They were, went down, sweet, had the sweet tickets and everything. And UConn women's basketball fans um, are some of the most passionate, um, knowledgeable people <laughs> I have ever been around. And I was, I had no stake in the game, but they were incredible to watch, just the level of, talent that they have compared to um, the competition. I, I found myself at one point, I think Brianna Stewart hit like a three, like after a block or something. I found myself like standing up cheering with like the other people. Like, oh my gosh, like I don't even care about this game, but like, I'm into <laughs> it and it's infectious. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I'll say is that Gino Oriema has all, always really coached a fun brand of basketball to watch. Very, Disciplined, very skilled, um, and that that team that they had the last four years with that core was something I'm not sure we're going to see again. I mean, it it was incredible. And when people 
you know, kind of poo-poo women's basketball. Um, you know, I mean, I I get it because you don't have the same speed and athleticism that you have in the men's game. But if you yep. can't appreciate the UConn women over the last four years for what they were able to do, then you're just not a fan of basketball in general, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that was my biggest takeaway, just how disciplined and how well run it was. Just having – I was able to appreciate it, just like – seeing like how well they ran their offense and how um, cohesive they were on the court is, is something to see. Yeah. So now that we've uh, gone completely off the rails, <laughs> I guess we should probably wrap this up. I can't imagine anyone is sticking around to the end of this and I can't blame them. Um, but uh, Yeah, I don't have any more hot movie takes at the uh, moment. Yeah. Turning things back to mid-major men's basketball, any final thoughts before I mercifully put this to an end? I got um, you know, oh, you know, I just we kind of talked about it already. Um, really, honored to see what I'm really interested to see what Gonzaga does because they, and I'm sure you could have said this in a lot of years past, but they they really do seem like a team that's got Final Four potential in there. So this will be a great, um, a, a great a measuring test. They won't see this type of uh, talent as good as St. Mary's is, as good as uh, BYU again is. You know, in terms of size and athleticism, they're not. They won't see this again until March. So it'll it'll certainly be interesting to see what they do uh, tomorrow in Los Angeles. Yeah, I I agree. I'm gonna I plan on being on my couch watching basketball all day tomorrow. Uh, because with with the with the challenge and with that doubleheader at the Staples Center and everything in between, um, there are a lot of games on national TV tomorrow. And CBS Sports Network, which I hate, is televising a lot of them. So credit to them for that. And I will have them on all day. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely. And just if you guys would hear me here for one second, I have a trivia question here. Is that fine? Oh, that's fine. Right. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. This is so. We're coming off Feast Week, Russ. We know we know you love Feast Week. Um, I love Feast Week. Who? <laughs> who uh, what's the last mid-major uh, to win the Maui Invitational? Oh my God! All right. Um, what year and what team? Right. I guess I should say. Which? All right. Kind of go back. I know we beat them in, with that Adam Morrison team. We beat Gonzaga that mm-hmm. year. That's a that's um, a good. So it's not. Faster. I don't think it's. I don't think it's Gonzaga. Um, uh, UNLV. Do you have a guess, Chris? Go after school. Uh. Does Butler count as a mid-major um, with, like, that Rodney Clark team a couple years back? I did, I did not count. Oh. I went on uh, I went on the current I don't. Role. I can't remember if they won or not, but they're the – They would have been a really in my mind. I remember I discarded them right away. I, I, I can't remember if they won or not, but I do. I, I did see them up, up there, and I remember they had a – I remember that team did really well there. Um, it's a good guess. It's a good guess. Um, so the answer is Gonzaga in 2009. Um, they oh, they won it after that. Mm-hmm. And that was with uh, Kelly Olenek at David Stockton um, in their freshman yeah. year. Yeah. 
Man. Oh, and they would oh, uh they, they would end up in eight seed. They would end up play eighteen and they would lose to Syracuse in the second round. Useless. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um the last time a team was in a, a mid major team was in the uh, title game was San Diego State in two thousand fourteen they lost Arizona. That I remember. Mm-hmm. I remember that game. So well, that was a good useless well, yeah, it was it does. That was tough. Seems seems relevant. So And I I credit myself for not cheating and looking it up while uh while no, I'm pretending I, to think yeah, I guess. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. That Bowler UNLV has never won it. Championship game. There you go. So yeah, I think, you know, you both had I give you both a lot of credit. That's a lot more than I would remember this. You know, Gonzaga made it with Morrison, and that Butler was there because I. So I, I give you credit, Craig. I got a fun fact for you. Okay, is it is 1989, it? 1989, uh, Missouri were the winners, beating North Carolina. Oh, that's oh, that's hey, that was the, those were during the glory years too. <laughs> there were glory years. Of, I see. I you know, in full disclosure, I'm. Grew up in Chicago. I grew up a huge Illinois fan. I went to as soon as I got to Mizzou, I kind of lost that, and so I, I started following 2006. So anything before then is, you know, I can't. I guess I can't claim. Gotcha. Or I can't be responsible for. <laughs> hey, whose whose dog is barking in the background? That's my dog. I apologize for that. I wasn't sure if that could be heard. So now uh, he's uh, he, does, he's got uh, some thoughts. I don't know what they are, but yeah. Does the dog want to weigh in? Yeah, uh, he, I'm sure if you let him, he would. So I would hear the dog's take on Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, he is barking at a UPS truck. So that's what he's barking yeah, at. Probably delivering a Christmas present, potentially. So I will make sure the next time I do this, I will dog-proof myself a lot better. <laughs> that's all right. I'd like to think that our dog. site is very pro-dog. Yeah. I, I hope so. Certainly hope so. If it's not, then we're doing something wrong. Yeah. That might have to be the next right. uh, Slack debate, and we can kind of weed out the bad apples from that. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I like it. All right. Well, I, I think we're done here. <laughs> well, I like it. Thank, thank you for bearing with us, everybody uh, who listened to this. Um, had a lot of great talk somewhere in there about Mountain West, Missouri Valley Challenge. Tomorrow, want to thank Harry Schrader for coming on a little bit earlier. Want to thank uh, Chris Schutte for coming on and giving his bad movie takes. <laughs> for Greg, I'm Russ. Thank you so much for joining us. We will catch you uh, next time. Pros in the know start with Lowe's because Lowe's has the fixtures and the savings to get the job done right. Working on a big bath project? Now you can get up to 35% off select bath faucets and you can even save up to 20% on select toilets. Plus, order what you need online and pick it up in store. See Lowe'sforpros.com for details. So pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 3-1 while supplies last. Selection varies by location, U.S. only.